the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, coming to you live from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, which is brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your source, your trusted source for precious metals. Your trusted source for so many things is my guest in studio, Rabbi Pinchas Alush, P-I-N-C-H-A-S, first name Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He is the head rabbi at uh, Congregation Beth Tefillah, CBT, based on Shea Boulevard, where uh, all are welcome, Jewish or not, observant or not, as he likes to say. He is also the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts, three to five minutes a week that um, can change your whole uh, perspective, your whole life. And uh, we like to have him in on Fridays when he's in town. Uh, First and foremost, uh, Rabbi, uh, update on your son, Family? Well, thank you. First, it's a pleasure being back. Thank you for your um, concern over my son and um, his um, very courageous uh, peers, the IDF soldiers. While he continues to be in Gaza, mm-hmm. uh, we actually heard from him on Sunday morning this week. Mm-hmm. He sounded strong and mm-hmm. positive. Good. Uh, they were exhausted too, and they really are working tirelessly to eradicate this evil from planet Earth. May uh, may their strength uh, continue to grow. May they go from strength to strength, as the phrase goes. Amen. We uh, we often talk about what you put in your podcast or what is in the Torah portion, the biblical portion of the week um, across the world. Every uh, Sabbath, every Saturday in the Jewish faith, um, a portion of the Torah or Bible is uh, read. And um, this is a biggie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a biggie, That's something right. called the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Beshalach. Beshalach. How do you pronounce it? Beshalach. That's Beshalach. correct. Beshalach. When he sent. Is that right? That's right. Very good. We're basically Exodus 13. Yes. The Jews, the Israelites are leaving, fleeing Egypt. We have the parting of the Red Sea, and we have the giving of the Ten Commandments. Thereafter. Right. Let me. Uh, I have. Quite, I have so many. The whole. Let me. Let me. Let me strip the uh, audience of any notions here. The whole reason I have these exercises with you every Friday is just so that you can be here to answer the questions I have accumulated for fifty years. That's that's what you're. Here, that's why we do this okay. for no other reason. I found. I found a live one. Someone who can help me. Well, all right. As long as your audience can be interested. <laughs> All right. There's some interesting phraseology. We'll get to the Ten Commandments but in a moment. But um, it says, Now when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although it was nearer. For God said, The people may have a change of heart when they see war and return to Egypt. This is an interesting point, though it is nearer. I wonder if you might just say a few words about what seems like the easier route. 
Yes. So it's a big it, issue in Judaism. Right? It is a big issue in Judaism, and it reminds me of that term of the long, shorter way. I, that's what I wrote down here. That's right, which sometimes requires us of taking a longer road, what seems to be a longer road, but it's really shorter because its internal hurdles do not exist. It might be externally long, but internally short. Some roads are short, long ways. They seem short externally because they are maybe physically short, but really there are many, many hurdles with the mounds of rocks and sticks and so on. And that's true not just with physical roads, obviously, but also with spiritual and emotional ones too. But I do want to relate to the verse that you just quoted because it's interesting that God was uh, concerned over their mental state. See, when the Jewish people left Egypt after 210 years of slavery, they may have physically left Egypt, but Egypt did not leave them, did not leave their minds, their spirit. They were still very much slaves within and going the longer road enabled God to take them completely out of Egypt so that when they take that longer road, they wouldn't even have Egypt in sight because having Egypt in sight might have caused many of them to say, oh, we actually missed this place. Because remember, they were still and there's a lot of that. mentally. Yes, yes, right. yes, yes. They say that a lot, don't they? That's right. Yeah. And I, I think that in many ways is the story of the 40-year journey in the desert. Right. Slaves that are mentally enslaved, physically freed, that are constantly trying to evolve from this mental state of slavery to a mental state of freedom. Yeah. I remember the uh, renowned uh, literature professor Ruth Weiss once spoke about the need to have a desert experience, that you could not go from slavery to freedom at the snap of a finger, that the Jews had to have a ridding if you will, of that experience that had been with them and internalized by them for centuries. That was her phrase, a desert experience. Right. That, that, that's, that's very well said, at, uh, this intermediary experience mm-hmm. that enables us to grow wings and then fly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because if you notice, God does all of the fighting for the Jewish people when they come out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. We see this right, in this right. week's portion. Right. He takes them out of Egypt, the ten plagues, you know, the death of the firstborn that eventually breaks the Egyptians wide open, and then and then they are released and redeemed. But then the splitting of the Red Sea, God does all of that. Mm-hmm. After the splitting of the Red Sea, though, God says, now nah, I need you, you people, mm-hmm. to fight. When? When Amalek, the nation, mm-hmm. came to fight the Jewish nation. It's interesting because there's a tremendous contrast here. God fought for the Jewish nation at the very beginning of the Exodus. But after a while, he says to them, okay, now it's time for you to fight. Mm -hmm. And what is really happening is exactly that desert process that you were speaking about, where at first maybe they were too mentally enslaved to even think of fighting back. Mm -hmm. So God had to do all the fighting. Mm -hmm. But at some point, God, like a good parent, says to his child, I can't hold your hand anymore for you to walk. You've Mm got to walk by yourself. Go and fight. But through that fighting, you will discover your inner freedom. Right. And you will then be able to live like a truly free person. It's applicable to so many things in life. In in fact, do you have to take that? Are we okay? No, no, we're okay. We're sensitive to the the phone calls. We've had a few that uh, (laughs) uh, came from the Middle East. Um, 
this this is applicable to so many thoughts in life, it seems to me. In fact, the whole notion of childhood, really. You have to have a period of time before you can do the adult things, before you can act the adult, have the maturity, have the wisdom of an adult. We think of it, too, with religious practice. Uh, I think particularly you probably see this a great deal <clears throat> in people who try— uh, to become more religious. You can't do it fast. You fry out, so to speak, in, right. in, in a double entendre, if you will. If you go too fast, you have to have a portion of time to adjust. Uh, the whole notion of rehabilitation uh, and rehab, mm-hmm. it takes a certain amount of time to get to where you need to be, whether it's muscle, emotional, psychiatric, uh, addictive, whatever— Time. So this is this this relates back to I think the the way I learned the Talmudic portion was uh, that you were uh, referring to earlier was uh, in life there is a road that is short that appears long and there is a road that is long that appears short right mm-hmm. and when you leapfrog when you take that seemingly easier when you cut the corners so to mm-hmm. speak of life or any of these experiences. You end up realizing it's going to be a much longer haul when you mm-hmm. cut those corners, when you when you rush through that desert experience that is so necessary That's yes, correct. to condition you. Yes. You know, there's a cute story, a cute anecdote about a father who wanted to teach his son that message. So he took him to a boiling bath. Mm-hmm. At first, the son couldn't go in because it was too hot. Yeah. But slowly but surely, as he goes, oh, oh, this is hot. And finally dips his whole body in. He says, ah, oh, now it feels good. And his, son, his father then tells him, that's exactly the message I wanted to teach you for life. When things go, oh, 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 first, and they're really hard, just know that they almost always follow with a, ah, mm-hmm. oh, it feels good. Mm-hmm. But the opposite is also true. Yeah. If things begin with a, ah, oh, it's short, it's, it's wonderful. They almost always follow with a, oh, 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 what did I just do? They must hammer that into you, into in yeshiva. I remember the first Orthodox rabbi I had meaningful conversations with in college. I said, how do you know what the right thing to do is? He said to me, if it feels good while you're doing it and feels bad later, it's the wrong thing to do. If it feels bad while you're doing it and it feels good later, you have a pretty good idea. It's the right thing to do. Very good. <laughs> rabbi they say, no good things come easy. Rabbi Pinchas Solution, I'll be right back. We are in Exodus 13 at SEC. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast and the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah in Scottsdale. There's another interesting... Um, Line. I mean, there's there's tons of interesting lines in here that, but these I just kind of pulled out. Um, this seems to me so emblematic of um, well, Judaism itself, and and certainly the Jewish experience throughout the Bible. We're reading in Exodus 13 as they are fleeing Egypt, and they they you know they 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 are leaving slavery, but they have their trials and tribulations. They they have. Uh, bad weather, they have uh, hunger pangs, they have thirst pangs. It's just one line, <clears throat> excuse me, was it for want of graves in Egypt you wanted us to die here? Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly enough, I don't know why, and you speak French, but in the resource I had, it had a footnote with, on no other lines does it have the French translation to this, but for some reason they thought it was important to put the French in there. C'est pour faillance de non fossé. I don't know why it's in there. 
and, uh. and I'm, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Maybe you can tell me for some reason why this, I think traditional translation decided that that was important. But this notion, for want of graves in Egypt, you wanted us to die here. What, there weren't graves in Egypt? Right. You know, <laughs> we have to die here, right? <laughs> this is this is the Jewish experience. That's the yes. Jewish guilt also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Yes. How, they, how's my uh, French? No, that, it's great. Okay. It's great. Right. It's great. But it's a See, good— Poor Fadians, they known for That's right. But, but I think that it speaks also of that slavery mentality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because in their— minds they were going to die that's it see free people don't think that way free people even when they face death and i've seen them see that too often as a rabbi people who've had cancer and who've been told by doctors you have three months to live six even during those three months they live like free people as if death wasn't even around the corner that's a free person the opposite of that is this expression right here. I'm okay. going to die. I'm going to need a tombstone. I'm going to need a, a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. I'm going to die. Whether mm-hmm. it, you know it's happening in the desert, and this is really emphasizing not just a mental state, but it's also emphasizing the challenge that Moses had yeah. as the ultimate parent of that nation to try and transform a nation that is thinking about death to a nation that could celebrate life. And maybe it goes to something – I'm going to do a little political philosophy with you if I can. It's been a big issue for me, specific, especially over the past several weeks, this notion of freedom versus slavery. And freedom maybe not an internally natural or inherently – that's the better word – endemically natural condition. Maybe it's something that needs to be conditioned. Maybe it's aberrant or exceptional and I'll tell you why I say that. There's then a few lines later we get the, the the complaint. Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us be, and we will serve the Egyptians, for it is better for us to serve the Egyptians to die in the wilderness. It is better us to be slaves, to live as slaves, than to die as free men, is how I read that. That's mm-hmm. what they're saying effectively. Mm-hmm. They Freedom is new to them. And it's not such a great thing to them. They haven't been conditioned to it. And I think about that in the context of politics, Rabbi, or writ large, not mm-hmm. Democratic and Republican fights, but just politics as forming polities. Freedom – Reagan said freedom was a, is a fragile thing. Uh, he, he often said freedom is a fragile thing. It's not something you inherit. It must be fought for and defended. And indeed, this nation, as you know, your Latin and your French and your Romance languages, this nation's great seal is um, Novus Ordo Seclorum, new order of the ages. This mm-hmm. wasn't traditional. This was something new here. I don't know. That's Am I on to something? No, absolutely. I think America as a nation and as a, a, a country and a superpower certainly – is perhaps the first in history to understand the true meaning of freedom, freedom that has to be fought for, freedom that therefore has to be preserved, freedom that is not just external but also internal. Mm -hmm. That's freedom. Mm -hmm. I know too many people that are maybe physically free, but they are enslaved internally by so many things. could be addictions. Psychologies. It it could be stress. It could be exactly. It could be just a plan of the day. They're just too obsessed with that plan that they're not open to any other plan. They're enslaved by many, many things. Freedom, as America first saw it, and as year, 
the Torah, or Moses sees it as he leads this nation of slaves, is first and foremost freedom that comes from within, Mm -hmm. not from without. Mm -hmm. If you are free within, you'll always be free without. You can be in a prison like many refuseniks were in the times of the Soviet Union. These are Jews who could not freely leave, had no right to travel or right really to very much in the Soviet Union. Right, exactly. Or or other examples, you know, are are even prisoners of war in Vietnam or any any other place or even Jews in concentration camps in the Holocaust. If they were free in spirit, they were also free externally. If they weren't, if they, you can't say that opposite way. You, if you are just free physically, it doesn't mean that you're free internally. Right. To achieve that internal freedom, it needs a lot of work. It needs a lot of conditioning. Right. This, this was why I think, um, again, to refer to Reagan, why he used that phrase so often. He first uttered it, believe it or not, in Phoenix, Arizona, the first time he ever used that very famous phrase of his. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. Freedom is a fragile thing. And not way, not ours by way of inheritance, he says, must be fought for and defended. Then he put it in his gubernatorial when he was governor of California. He put in his inaugural speech there. He put elements of it throughout his speeches in the 70s, 80s, and even his last speech from the White House in 1989. It needs to be drilled in that we, we – because I think – Dennis Prager was saying this the other day – dependence – of any kind is very hard to rid yourself on. He said dependence particularly on the state, which is, you know, writ large slavery, dependence on the state, he said, is as hard to get rid of as dependence on heroin. Now, mm-hmm. that might be exaggerated, but the point abides. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. Dependence is certainly a type of slavery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, the, the more dependent we are on physical things, mm-hmm. the more enslaved we are. I think it's interesting because I would also be careful with the word dependence because I think that if you are dependent on spiritual things, yeah. it can make you free. Yeah. If I'm dependent on God, mm-hmm. God that by nature is above nature, yeah. uh, then I am allying myself yeah. to also elevate. To be elevated above nature, sure. so I am free internally. I yes, I I, I think the dependence on what matters, right. whether it is an artificial creation or whether it is something that serves your higher purposes, right? Mm-hmm. And this is obviously a nice segue, not only to our commercial break, but to what we'll come back with on the Ten Commandments and the splitting of the Red Sea. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That's a theme song to a, ra- a show about a radio station I see. in C- WKRP, WKRP in Cincinnati. Uh, it's a love song. We'll get to love in a moment here. Um, there's a connection. Stay with me. All right. So the Jews are fleeing. Uh, Egypt sends uh, – uh, the pharaoh sends Egyptians uh, after the, the Jews who are fleeing. Um Bake what you will bake, for tomorrow is Sabbath, the Jews are told. This is before the Ten Commandments. Interestingly enough, this line comes up. They're already being trained slowly, maybe. I Mm -hmm. don't know. Mm -hmm. But the splitting of the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds, literally. We don't really know yet why why the Sea of Reeds, why they got rid of the E and made it red instead of reed. The splitting of the Red Sea is a fascinating thing. There's a lot involved here. Um, 
and I want to get to something Jonathan Sachs said, but every time I, I come to this portion, I'm always reminded of a Talmudic line that maybe you can shed some light on or spend a moment on. It is as difficult for God to match a couple as it is splitting the Red Sea. Mm. Certainly you know that origin, that phrase um, from the Talmud. And thinking about, you know, dependency or people being put together or any any kind of, you know, relationship, it's an interesting thing to compare it to, isn't it? It is. It's, it's a fascinating thing. There are many, many commentaries yeah, yeah. on that line from the Talmud. Uh, by the way, the Talmud itself has an argument whether this relates to one's first marriage yes. or if one divorces right. his second marriage. Right, and the triumph of hope over experience and all of that. Right. Yes, yes. But um, look, I'll go to the Kabbalistic commentary, which yeah. is my favorite of all. Oh, boy. Because <laughs> it's a little deep. But make sure your seatbelts are <laughs> fastened, folks. Okay. That's right. It's a little deep, but I think it's very, very relevant. Right. You see, the splitting of the Red Sea that occurred is not just a moment in history. It's a moment that reoccurs or must reoccur every day because in many ways we are like the sea. There is a revealed part of us, just like the sea that has its waves and its waters revealed, but there is also a hidden part of us, which is what is still hidden in most seas in the world, right? 90% of the oceans have yet to be discovered. Mm -hmm. But that's where the treasures really lie, and just as it is in us. There is a hidden part in us that has so many treasures, but it is only the brave ones who can analyze themselves, live aligned with the deeper self that can also not only reveal those treasures, but also then share them with the world. So within each and every one of us, we have the waters, but the ultimate goal is to split those waters and reveal those treasures, our personalities, our talents, our skills, and our soul all together so that it shines and uh, illuminates the world by doing so. So that's really what the splitting of the Red Sea is referring to. And what God, what this Talmudic line is really saying is that it is hard for God not just to match couples, to bring two people together, but to match couples so that they can communicate on a soul-to-soul level, yeah, a not just level. on a body-to-body right. level. That's right. easy. Right. Water-to-water is easy. For a easy. soul to see a soul is the hard thing. That's correct. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the hard the thing. challenge. Jonathan Sachs, the recently departed great, uh, great Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, uh, chief rabbi of Great Britain, um, had an interesting take on this, and maybe I'll, I'll just set it up before the break, this short segment, come back to it, on this whole notion of miracles. I mean, this is, this is perhaps one of the most famous miracles in the entire Bible is the splitting. And there have been, he points out, lots of scientific actual debates and investigations that think that they can actually prove certain kind of elements of this as well. And he said, you think about the Jews getting these miracles, this great miracle. And he went off on that thought, you know, this weak people receive. When he said... When we look around at people today and we get a little bit jealous that they have so many blessings or it seems that they are blessed with miracles that we don't ourselves get, he said, maybe take a moment to think about maybe they were weak who needed the miracles. Maybe it was the weak who needed them. Maybe, 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 maybe they got the miracles because they couldn't do what you can't do Mm. on your own. I thought that was an interesting insight. Mm. Whenever someone may get jealous of another person, think about 
Well, maybe that's God's message and way of saying, I needed to help them. You, you have what you need mm. to do what you want or to get what you want. I thought that was interesting. That's beautiful. It really is beautiful. Rabbi Pinchas Solution, I will be right back and we'll get to the Ten Commandments. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Solution is my guest. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, um, House of Prayer. Translated, it's on Shea Boulevard. All are welcome, uh, religious or observant or not, Jewish or not. And uh, young David has been there uh, on his own volition. He liked it. It's silly. I shouldn't have said on his own volition. Of course, what other volition would he be there on? Um, and uh, he is also the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts weekly, um, three to five minutes. That um, gives you a lot of great insight uh, relating the uh, Bible to the world and life. So we are reading Exodus 13 and following, and we now get to the Ten Commandments, the first appearance of the Ten Commandments in the mm-hmm. Bible. What would you say about that? I mean, there's so much to say, and and the one I wanted to spend time on a little bit was not swearing falsely by the name of God, but anything you want to say about them, I, I'll just let you riff for a moment or two if you want. So there's so much to, yeah, right. to say about them. Um, I will say that I think that what makes the Ten Commandments special is not the commandments themselves, because it's quite logical that uh, people should not steal, for example, yeah. or that people should not murder. Mm-hmm. What makes the Ten Commandments so special is that it is God who authored them, mm-hmm. which makes those commandments, therefore, unchangeable. Mm-hmm. And it makes them um, a, a divine truths, not human truths that can change. I would say that the most extreme example to that is uh, the Nazis. The Nazis who thought that it was good to murder, to murder Jews, murder six million of them. Why? Because their truths were based on the human brain. And at one point, the human brain that said do not murder said, oh, it's okay to murder. But when truths are based on God and they become therefore divine truths, they're unchangeable. And even if I think that I can murder I just simply can't murder because God in the Ten Commandments told me, do not murder. So more than the commandments themselves, that is the author of those commandments that makes the Ten Commandments special. There is a portion of teaching about them um, that they are all actually interrelated. So the picking and choosing of which you want to obey would be folly. May I read um, from... uh, one rabbi, uh, Lewis Ginsburg, the first commandment, I am the Lord thy God, corresponds with the sixth, thou shalt not murder, for the murderer slays the image of God. The second, thou shalt have no other gods before me, corresponds to the seventh, thou shalt not commit adultery, for conjugal fatherlessness is as grave a sin as idolatry, because it's faithlessness to God. Third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain, will get into that in a moment. That's the one I wanted to focus on. Corresponds to the eighth, thou shalt not steal, for stealing results in a false oath in God's name. They're all interrelated. I could go on, but you take mm-hmm. the you take the point. That's right. Absolutely. They're all interrelated. What's interesting is that there has been a division made between the first five and the second set of five commandments. That's why in the tablets themselves, which were, by the way, most probably square, mm-hmm. not round, as yeah. Michelangelo drew them, yeah. uh, but... Uh, they are the, f- the, the ones on the right are 
the commandments of me versus God, mm-hmm. and the ones on the left are the commandments of me versus man. But there's one exception to that. Yes, sir. That is that there is a commandment on the right that is respect your father and your mother. Yes. That's a human, me versus others, not me versus God. Yeah. But what God is trying to teach us is that our parents have a divine element to them, not just because of their authority, but because really they are um, our introduction to God. Mm-hmm. And by introducing us to God, they become divine, and therefore they belong to that side of the tablet. Interesting. So maybe it's four and six, theoretically. 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 It could be. That's interesting. Let me spend some time with this one. Um, We translate it as, you shall not swear falsely by the name of your God. Um, And then it says, for God will not clear one who swears falsely by God's name. I think it's the only commandment that that is said about God will not. I think that's within the commandment itself. God will not clear you of this one. Mm-hmm. I don't think it says that about the other nine commandments. That's right. I don't think it does. But the translation is kind of interesting to me. For it's 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 lotisa lo, lo, lo or lotisa, right. which really means don't carry the name of God, which I took to mean, and I think I got this from some other rabbinic source, meaning it's not. Don't say words like we're not allowed to say on Radio GD so much. Uh, you know, don't swear using God's name so much as it is. Don't use God as a justification for selfish causes is how I read that. That's, that's exactly what I was going to, to say. That's correct. I think that's the essence of that commandment. For too many people, either individuals or even nations, carry the name of God for their own selfish purposes. Mm-hmm. We see that, again, in the most extreme way with terrorists that blow themselves up in the name of God just to fulfill their evil agenda. Mm -hmm. That is the greatest affront to God. And I think, therefore, God is so passionate, so to speak, about this commandment to the point that he warns us that God will almost chase down all those that violate this commandment. Because it's the greatest affront, not just to God, but I think to humanity, that ought to reflect godliness altogether. Yeah, that and, and this is such the great sin to use to do something evil. Let us say whether it is uh, you know an act of terrorism or something else, and justifying it on God telling you to do so. Right? Mm-hmm. This is this is the great evil. Don't use my name to justify. Wrongdoing. That's right. right. That's right. Don't exactly. carry my name with you into your nonsense or your evil doing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I say that very often to. He knew our temptation to do so, evidently, right. by proclaiming it. It's an interesting thing for God to proclaim. Right. Man must be inclined to want to use me for that purpose, he might be. Mm-hmm. That's that very well said. And look, I, I was going to say we're speaking about, you know, nations and terrorists. But this is also true on a very, very individual level, yes. very often to married couples, right. because very often I have married couples who come to me and one of them says, well, you know, God tells me to be more observant in this way and in that way. And therefore, in the name of God again, I am going to do this even though my wife is angry at me, even though my wife disagrees, even though this, this creates tremendous friction. And my usual response is that if you really cared about what God wants of you, well, let me tell you, God wants of you peace in the right. home. Right. Shalom bayit. Shalom bayit. Yeah. 
and you using God's name in order to further your own personal agenda and maybe even to rub it in the face of your spouse is the most undivine thing you can do. Yeah, right. Shal- you say shalom bite with a beard, and I from Lithuania say shalom bias. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a little love. Of a con- well, we- <laughs> Irony, <laughs> we'll call it. We'll be back with a closing thought with Rabbi Penchas Solution in a moment. <clears throat> okay. Welcome back. To, there's a story behind that song. We don't need to get into that now. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pin- That's just a random song generator, Rabbi. Rabbi Pinchas uh, Alush is our guest. Um, I want to take, uh, take uh, the opportunity to close this hour with you on uh, your weekly email, if I might. And uh, it's beautiful. Thank you. you point out that over the door of the anatomy department at Oxford University is a banner that says, here is where death teaches us life. We must respond to death with life. You want to give a nice, empowering message to our community on that any way you want to as we uh, keep Yisrael Mordechai Chaim in our prayers and thoughts as well? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And I was referring more particularly in my email, but I think this is true again on an individual level. But to what happened this past week in Israel where we had 24 soldiers in one shot being uh, murdered by by terrorists uh, through this RPG. And uh, very often the human condition responds to tragedies like this uh, with a little bit of death. And what I mean by that with despondency, with depression, with sadness that pulls us down almost like dead people. But we have to respond to those deaths with even more life. Mm-hmm. There's a void created by those deaths that need to, needs to be filled. Right. And it can only be filled if we respond to those deaths with even more life, with even more passion to live, with even more passion to give, with even more passion to love, with even more passion to do good. Because the only response to death is life. The only response to darkness is light. The only response to despondency is hope. And this is what really our Jewish history shows. Every time we've had a low moment, we've responded with high moments. There's something Kabbalistic or Hasidic about the void, right, that we are here to fill, right? There's an emptiness. I'm not sure the exact concept I'm aiming at, but it reaches somewhere in the back of my head that this is a very important doctrine in Kabbalah or Hasidism. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that, that's correct. That, that basically says that destruction yeah. calls for construction. Right, right. And if we can't heed that call, then we be, will be destroyed with that destruction. We must live more, you write, love more, give more, and do more. And we never know the impact of a life lived with that love and giving and passion and doing can do. Rabbi Pinchas Alush, thank you for those words. Thank you for your presence and not only uh, on this show, but really the blessing you are to our community and sharing it with us every Friday. Thank you, Seth, and thank you for the blessing you are to our community. Thank you. I'm aiming to be one someday, but thank you, sir, (laughs) with your help. We will be right back. (laughs) 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.